are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 16, 13 just one more time, but I also want you guys to have a bookmark on 2 Samuel of chapter 23, too. Okay, so let me just read quickly. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Um, there is and will always be a constant redefining of manhood, of fatherhood, and what it means to be a husband. If you noticed, I don't know if you guys have TVs now, uh, a lot of people just end up watching YouTube and like the commercials that come on. There are the advertisements, but a lot of commercials and advertisements now display the father as the one cleaning up the house. Have you noticed? Right? Uh, the fathers are the ones that are picking out the right detergent. The fathers are the ones who are administering Tylenol to their sick child. And I remember a year ago, I was at Giant with um, my then one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and um, mommy had the graveyard shift, and so daddy went got the baby and went out and got some groceries to make dinner. And as I was waiting the uh, checkout line, there was a, a man who looked up and gives me a smirk and says, got babysitting, doing, <laughs> babysitting duty today? And I just gave him a smile. I was like, no, I'm just being a parent. That's what I do. I'm just a dad, right? Men today, I believe, are no longer viewed as the nine-to-five dad who comes into a traditional home setting where he has little to no presence in the life of his family. The domestic landscape has changed dramatically. I know many guys who are now taking on more of a kind of traditional stay-at-home type of role, not necessarily staying at home, but helping out with the chores, cooking, cleaning, doing things like that. I'm not saying it's good or bad to have this role reversal. I think there has to be a balance for everything, raising children, parenting, being uh, the partnership in marriage, finances, child-rearing, everything else. And even though the view of manhood is changing too, in other words, a lot of things are changing. That, that term, manhood, man, men, males, even changing, as we know, with the current affairs of today. we got to ask ourselves, what is the biblical view of manhood? And is that changing as well? 1 Corinthians is really just the opening part of our message today. It's a call to the fathers, but really to all the men on this Father's Day. However, my sermon will be based out of 2 Samuel chapter 23, so just have your fingers uh, finger bookmarking, bookmarked that section, and I'll be reading it throughout uh, the rest of my sermon. Now, I've chosen not to read through 2 Samuel 23 for practical reasons. It's simply a bit too long right now. Not only that, there are so many names that it's kind of a tongue twister, and really just for the sake of time, I'm going to uh, bypass it. But I'll be, I'll be reading from the text with, when the occasion calls for it. Now, as you know, I've always spoken on sermon series, right? We spent two years on Romans and everything. Um, I remember Jesse telling me a week ago, you know, I, I felt kind of bad. It sounds terrible. I felt kind of bad, you know, extending the series for two years, <laughs> right? Because it's such a long journey. Bad in that sense. I think, it was, I think it was just so meaty and so great. I loved it. So I really don't care what you guys think. But ultimately, it was great, right? I loved it. But it was long. But then Jesse told me that John Piper spent eight years on the book of Romans. So I feel a lot better. Um, but normally I do sermon series, but today there's this rare pleasure. I have a rare pleasure in speaking topically uh, from the word of the Lord as it relates to this special day. 
Now, Father's Day, if you see a dad near you, or a soon-to-be dad, or a guy who just got married, or just a guy who wants to get married one day and have kids, turn to them and say, Happy Father's Day. You single guys feeling awkward right now? <laughs> Ladies, turn to the guy and say, children are good. <laughs> They're a blessing from the Lord. Okay. These are all truths. So here's a quick rundown of 2 Samuel, okay? Listen to me. David becomes king of Judah while the northern kingdom, Israel, decides to reject God's decree and instead, they want to go with, a with their dynastic tradition of selecting Saul's son, Ish-bosheth. Ish-bosheth eventually gets executed, and then the northern kingdom asks David to rule the entire nation. David, he chooses a new capital. He moves it from Hebron to Jerusalem, and he brings along the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And in this, in this book, David receives several promises from God as David is planning and preparing to build the temple of the Lord. And that is first, David would have a son to rule after him. Second, David's son would build the temple. Not David, but his son would. Third, the throne of David would continue on in his lineage and be established forever. It's prophetic. And lastly, God would never take away his mercy from David's house. So these were the promises that the Lord had conveyed to David. So in 2 Samuel, we read of a lot of different things. But we read of David's great victory over the many enemy nations that were surrounding them. We also read of David's kindness towards Mephibosheth, which is John to his best friend's crippled son, inviting him to the king's table. But as great as chapters 1 through 10 are in this book, as they record the triumph, the victories, the good things of David, the next series, the next half of the book is filled with all his failings, his many failings, namely his lust for that beautiful woman named Bathsheba, whom he commits adultery with. Then to cover up their sin, he has her husband, Uriah, murdered. Then at that great moment, there's that great moment of self-conviction when the prophet Nathan approaches David and says, Hey, man, it's you. You are that sinner. You are the transgressor. And David's like, oh, my gosh. And he confesses and he repents. And he, he can't believe that he was the one who did it all this entire time. And yet God, he graciously forgives David. However, his son still dies. And later, God tells David that trouble will arise from within his household. Well, that trouble comes in the form of his son, Amnon, the firstborn. He rapes his half-sister, Tamar. And so in revenge, Tamar's brother, Absalom, kills Amnon. It quickly starts getting all very Kardashian here. Then later on, Absalom revolts against his dad, David, and some of David's former associates join that rebellion against him. David is then forced out of Jerusalem. Absalom sets himself up as king, but only for a short while as he gets overthrown and killed, which, by the way, David, he never sanctioned. Because after the death, when he found out his son died, he grieved and he mourned over the death of his son. And the men of, men of Israel all of a sudden start threatening David again that they're going to split from Judah. And so David, he's trying to go around, putting fires out, trying to suppress, suppress another uprising. 
Then in chapter 21, a three-year famine ravages the land. And in chapter 22, David, he writes a psalm, a song to praise the Lord for saving him from all these enemies. And now in chapter 23, David begins to express faith in the Davidic covenant that the Lord had made with him. And now we come here to the record of the brave men who stood by David at the time of 1 Samuel chapter 22 when Saul was chasing after David to kill him. So in this chapter is a record of the men who stood by his side, the mighty men of David. So what was the point of all that? I want all the men here to know something about David's life. Now, you all know about David to a certain extent, right? He's described as a man after God's own heart. You've heard that before. David, the little shepherd boy, he's the one who killed that lion. He's the one that killed that bear. And he's the one that slaughtered. And he, he destroyed that massive, giant Philistine, Goliath. We know his achievements. And yes, we also know his moral failings too. But what often escapes our notice was his fellowship, the people around him. You see, throughout 1 and 2 Samuel, in the beginning of 1 Kings, you'll see that David, he takes the center stage. He's kind of like the main character. But he was by no means a one-person act. Because David, he didn't stand alone. Because surrounding him were a band of mighty men who helped accomplish great feats of valor in his life. These guys, they were committed to God. These guys are committed to the kingdom. These guys are, more importantly, they're committed to the anointed kingship of David here. And so I firmly believe that the stalks of the church can shoot up when the roots are planted firmly in the foundation, meaning the growth in spirit that we want here. Don't we want a spiritual revival here? Don't we want to grow numerically as well? All that is first and foremost done by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? It's done by God. We can't go around, we can go ahead and send out flyers and do all that stuff, but it's God who raises up men and women of faith. It's God who will raise, raise our church numbers up as well. But what I've also learned is that the Holy Spirit often works through the strength of a few members who are willing to stand firm, act as the core group, and be the ones who help grow, support, and minister to the rest of the congregation. And soon, that minister to congregation begins to minister to others, and on and on it goes. But it always starts with a few. Turn to your neighbor and say, be the few. So to the men here, you are leaders of this church. Ladies, turn to your guy next to you and say, you are leader of this church. Okay, so you have to say it without laughing because then it loses effect, okay? You're a leader of the church, right? No, look at them, not seductively. But look at them and say, you are the leader of the church, man. Okay. <laughs> if God wants to accomplish a great work among us, then he wants to raise up a band of mighty warrior men in our midst who can do great things for God. Now, by saying mighty men, I'm not just trying to exclude the women, but simply emphasize the need for strong men of faith. Not only that, we know the Bible teaches equality in sexes before the eyes of God. Man or woman, female, male, God views you equally. He loves you. He cherishes you. He lavishes grace upon you. And so, but the New Testament, we know, makes it clear that God also, as much as he loves you equally, he has different desires for, for men and women in spiritual leadership. That he has designated men to be the spiritual leaders in both the home and the church. And the church, this church today, it needs mighty men like those who surrounded King David. Amen? 
So today I have a couple points I'd like to talk about and what kind of attribute or character a mighty man of faith should have. And this is it, the first one. We need to have men who are drawn to the king, who are attracted to the king. Now, David's mighty men, these guys, they weren't some dumb, brash, ignorant war junkies who just blindly followed after David. These guys, they volunteered for the service. These guys, they served David out of commitment, out of love and devotion to him. When the men were hiding in the cave of Adullam, by the way, uh, which is a city a few miles south of Beth Shemesh in Judah, the Philistines were occupying Bethlehem, which was the hometown of David. And so David was hiding. He was hiding from Saul. He was hiding from all these people who were trying to get him. And so from verse 14, David, he begins to think of that cool water that he used to drink from that well in Bethlehem when he was a little boy. We don't know why he said that aloud. Maybe because he was just weary from his escape. Maybe because he was just fatigued and from all that mental, emotional, and spiritual, physical duress. But David, he thinks out loud. He goes, man, if someone could just get me some of that cool water from that, Bethlehem, from that well in Bethlehem, that well that I used to drink from when I was a boy, man, that would be so good. I am so thirsty. I would love to have that same cold water. Now, it wasn't a command that David was making to his guys. Because David, he, he's not someone who would send anyone to a full, in, on a fool's errand considering how, how difficult circumstances were, how everyone's being hunted. But nonetheless, he does say aloud his cravings. You know what happens in marriage? Husbands and wives are constantly giving each other's clues, especially wives. By the way, I want to tell you, it's difficult as a guy sometimes to decipher what our women want sometimes. My wife, she's seven months pregnant, and so she gets cravings. These cravings often happen at night when I'm with her. Probably just a coincidence, right? She'll say, man, I'd really love some pound cake, but I can't because I don't want to gain too much weight. So I'm thinking, if I get it, she might get mad at me for contributing to her weight gain. But if I don't get it, I'm the guy who didn't get his poor pregnant wife the pound cake she really wanted. <laughs> well, by that time, it was close to midnight. So fortunately, as hungry as she was, she was also exhausted. So she eventually passes out. I'm like, yes, okay. Well, the next day, I get a grocery list via text. And I notice there's no mention of pound cake, but I've listened. Because I'm a good guy. I've listened. And so I'll buy whatever's on the list as well as not just one, but two pound cakes <laughs> to satisfy my beautiful wife's cravings. I come home, she sees the cake, and I'm a hero. <laughs> and so the way I imagine this moment in the cave is that David is surrounded by men who just absolutely love and adore him. And these men... They listen for a hint for something to please their king. Anything. What would you have me do for you? How can I serve you? I want to do everything for you, Jesus. I want to do everything for you, my king. But these men were saying, David, the anointed king, I'll do anything for you. And so the three men, they slip away after hearing this. 
and they brought back the precious gift of that water to David. And man, King David, he was so touched. He couldn't even drink the water. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord as an offering. He poured it out to the Lord as a sacrifice. And according to verses 16 17, it says, But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. You see, David acknowledged, acknowledged the amazing courage and devotion of these men. And, and he had this utmost appreciation for their love. These guys, they risk everything, their lives, to draw closer to their king. And I'd like to take a few moments now to see what kind of men these were. They were. So looking through the passage, you'll notice that all these men, they were not cut from the same cloth. They had diverse backgrounds. Some were foreigners. Some came from less than reputable families or hometowns. In fact, there are a lot of obscure, tiny towns mentioned here. And yet, they had one thing in common, and that is they all just were, they were all just drawn to the king. They all just wanted the king. Mighty men of Shining Star Community Church. You may have a Harvard degree or just a high school diploma. You may earn six figures or barely make more than minimum wage. You may come from a multi-generational Christian family or perhaps you're the first believer in your family. But when it comes to serving our King Jesus, get this, he has chosen us. He has chosen you. He has captured our hearts purely by his grace and so we love him. We love him. And so doing so, we are able to love one another no matter how different our backgrounds may be. And because of his love, we're called to draw near to him. Brothers, I want to encourage and challenge you. Don't let your background stop you from pursuing your king. Don't let your background say, I am not good enough. I am not worthy enough. I have too many mistakes. I haven't made too many moral failures in my life from pursuing one another in grace, from pursuing our king. Secondly, a lot of these men, they had messed up backgrounds, a lot of baggage. You know, in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says we're told that those who, those who were in distress, those who were in debt, those who were bitter in their souls, they were the ones who gathered to David. The ones who were in distress, the ones who were in debt, the ones who were bitter in their souls. Man, don't we often use our past to somehow dictate and determine our future? Don't we hold on to our past mistakes and so with such, and we live with such discontentment that it seems almost impossible for anything good to happen to us today? The guys who stayed with David, they were not these amazing, admirable, honorable Grand warriors who never made a mistake in their lives, who have perfect families and have perfect reputations and have lived comfortable lives. The men who David called mighty were men with problems. The men whom David called my mighty warriors were the guys who had passed to overcome with sin addictions to, that they need to overcome. They came from broken families. They may even had a broken marriage. They had anger issues. They had emotional issues. They had physical issues. They had spiritual baggage. And yet, what did David do? He accepts them. He says, come, be with me. 
He accepts them and he trained them to become the most loyal, to be the most powerful and most faithful fighting warriors have ever served their king. And that's what Christ is calling us to do today. To the men, rise up. Rise up, he says. The Lord, he accepts you and he wants to train you and he wants to disciple you and he wants to lead you. Brothers, the Lord doesn't require you to solve all your problems. Oh, Pastor David, I'll get right with the Lord. I'll get right in leadership. I'll go ahead and enter ministry once I get all my problems solved, once I get my affairs straightened out, once I complete all that's on my agenda, when I get married first and have kids first and make a decent income first and buy a nice car first and buy a home first and fix all my debt and pay off all my loans before I come to him and I say no. He wants and accepts those in distress, those in debt, those who are discontent because what Christ does is that he molds us just as the potter molds the clay. So he molds you and I, our brothers, for a cause, for a greater divine purpose. Do you know why we as men get so frustrated? Even if you're making good money. Even if, even if you're driving a nice car, even if you got that girl of your dreams, even if your things are going well and you got a nice wardrobe and all that stuff, despite our great many accomplishments and our degrees, because, it's because we have not given ourselves over to Christ. And until we do, we are nothing but just a lump of clay. Just a lump, no purpose, unshaped, unrefined. You know, it's funny, there's a little clay uh, paint store near my home where Grace will usually take my daughter, and one time I went with her, and I saw you had to make your thing out of clay there, and my daughter, she, you know, she's two, right? So she's like, da -da -da, making like no change whatsoever to that mold, and I'm like, oh, and she's like, I'm like, what is, she's like, ah, cup. I'm like, mm, you can't really do anything with that, and I go, okay, how about this, let me change it. She's like, no, and she changes it back to, again, nothing right? We're just a lump. You must allow yourself in all your lumpiness to fall into the hands of our sculptor king. Have you done that? Have you done that? The world is trying to shape you, but shape you for a purpose that is not yours. Only God will shape you. He will make you and he will give you a purpose, a great purpose, just as David did for these men, Christ the King will do for you. So what's our call today as men? We as men, we need to commit to our King, amen? These mighty men have always had one ear to their King. They were so sensitive to David's voice that when they heard that he wanted some water, very specific water too. They immediately got it. I wonder, where's your ear turned to? Who are you listening to right now? Are you stretching and craning your neck to hear more from God? I need to know what you have to say to me today. I need your instructions, Lord. I need your guidance. Speak to me. Or are you more craning and stretching your neck to hear words from your family members, your boss, your coworkers, and the world? Let's, let's get practical here. Are you even doing your quiet time? Now, this isn't some elementary Sunday school talk right now. This is a life source for us. Without God's word to lead us, instruct us, we become this aimless shell of a man. The word of God is good. 
and it replenishes our soul. His word is true and allows us to discern with wisdom what is right and what is wrong. And his word gives life as it leads men to know their creator God and the Savior who bore our sins. Are you listening to the Lord? Are you committed to the king? Are you committed to listening to him? You cannot be a man of faith if you're unwilling to hear the words from God. You see, because being a mighty man of the king is about obedience. And so even if you're unsure and you have absolutely no idea what God's will for is in your life, you must still obey the word of God. Like David, Jesus was rejected by his people. Like David, Jesus was the anointed one. Are you committing to the king today? Jesus is king, amen? And if he is the king of your life, we must follow him to the ends of the world, including the valleys and the caves of our lives. Mighty men of faith, I challenge you all to fight for the cause of God's kingdom. There is no greater purpose. There is no greater challenge. There is no greater privilege than than to be used by God for his amazing plans. And he's got a plan for you. What is God's cause? It's to know him and to make him known. It's to glorify him and to immerse ourselves in his glory. Are you loving and pouring out your heart to the Lord today? And are you receiving his love? Are you reaching out to the people in your life so that they also would know Christ? You see, mighty men of God, the God who saved us has saved us so that he can send us. How are you serving his purpose? How are you glorifying him today? As a husband, as a father, as a grandparent, as a student, as an employee, as an employer, as a man, how are we glorifying, fighting for his kingdom, for his cause today? Well, Pastor David, you see, I don't need God. I don't need his word to be that good guy, to be that good father or good husband. And you're right, you don't. I know of plenty of non-believing men who, would, who are exemplary fathers and husbands. I know of atheists who are so good that they would take the shirt off their own back to help another person out. So no, I guess you don't need God to be a good dad or husband. But here's why we do need God. Because without God, no matter how morally outstanding we might be, we will all serve either the true God or a false one. So as a father or as a husband, we will then be striving towards truth or striving towards lies. We will be either equipping our children and leading our wives to either the wonders of God's amazing grace or to the condemning cycles of the sinful world. You have one of two choices. You may be there for them on their first little league baseball game, game, but if that's all you're teaching, that you'll be there for them, then you're already setting them up for failure because ultimately we're not God and we do not possess the power to save. You know, the other day I uh, (coughs) took my dog out for a quick potty break. Knowing that my daughter was home alone, um, I quickly tried to come back and when I came back, I, I heard her crying and screaming, Appa, Appa, Daddy, Daddy, where are you? It was so, like, pitiful, so sad. Daddy, Daddy, where are you? She had apparently gone outside, but unable to find me, she went back in. She threw her shoes off before she went inside because she's Asian. And then she went downstairs hoping to find me. 
but not seeing me anywhere. She got all frantic to the point where she began to panic. And so I heard her screaming, crying, Daddy, Daddy, where are you? And so when I got in, I yelled, Ada, Daddy's here. Come upstairs. Come here. And I could hear her muffled crying as she slowly walked up the stairs. And she came to the top. And I picked her up and wiped her tears away. And I said, were you scared? And she said, yes. And so, well, Daddy's here. And so she gave me this big hug, wrapped her little arms around my neck. But then it dawned on me. That this is an opportunity. And I need to tell her an important truth at that moment. I said, Ada, look at me. And so with her tear-stained, puffy face, she looks up. And I told her, were you afraid? Yes. You know God is with you. You know that? Yes. I don't know if she really got that. I said, Ada, what did God make? She said, moon. I go, that's right. And the stars? Did God make mommy? Yes. Did God make daddy? Yes. What did God make? God made everything. I said, that's right. God made you too. And so I said, when you're afraid, you pray to God. He will never leave you. You see, I don't need to be, I don't need God to be a better dad to my daughter but I sure as heck need God for my daughter. Just as I need God for my salvation and my purpose, so does she. Christ has not come to make us better people. He has come to make us alive, and that is my greatest hope for my daughter. And I pray that I become a mighty man who will lead her to that glorious truth, that that father will never leave her, that that father will give her life, and has the power to overcome the sins in her life, to overcome the temptations and the wickedness, and he will give her eternity with him. Do you know why these men stuck by their kings? Because they knew he was their king. He was the anointed one. He was the one whom God had chosen. Our greatest privilege and joy is to do just that. Serve the one who was rejected as David was. Serve the one who was anointed as David was. We need to be mighty men of Christ, of this church. Men who will not just lead exemplary lives, but men who point others to the king. And so I pray that we as men, from our homes, to our churches and our fellowship and our small groups like Adullam, the cave where we as men from all walks of life, from diverse backgrounds, from baggage to baggage to baggage, that we would all understand, you see, Christ has chosen you. And so we can come together and we can serve our anointed, our amazing King Jesus. Mighty men, will you rise up? A shining star, will you rise up and lead this church Lead your families. Lead one another. This is your duty. This is your call. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth and for your word. God, it is challenging. It was challenging for me to even write it. Lord, because I see how many times I have failed to be that mighty man. How many times I have thought I've just missed the mark, and I've known, I know I've missed that mark, and yet, God, your grace is sufficient, and you say, come back. I will restore you. Come back. I will strengthen you. Come back. I will empower you to be that mighty man. 
For it is not by my strength, it is not by my might that I succeed in this life, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers, we can do this if you allow God to work through us. And to the sisters here, don't think this message doesn't apply to you. Who's the one leading? It's the men. And if you don't see that, then pray that they would grow and mature and become the mighty man of faith who will lead. Pray for your brothers. Pray for your husbands. Oh, dear Lord, please pray for your husbands. Pray for the fathers. I want us to take a minute now for the guys. You know your prayer right now. What needs to take place in your heart as you, as you form these words on your, in your heart and on your lips as you pray out to the Lord the things that you need, that, that God's challenging you with. Confess, repent. Say, God, I want to get right with you. And for the ladies, pray that same prayer, but pray also for that brother that you know or that dad or that sibling, whoever it might be. Pray for them on this Father's Day. But I also want to ask you guys to conclude your prayers with a prayer of thanksgiving and that we have a faithful Father, a God who will never leave us, a Father who will never forsake us, a Father who constantly, unconditionally pours out and lavishes His grace upon us. He is a good, good Father. Yes, He is. And He is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. So let's pray, but end with thanksgiving. Okay, let's pray.